Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. Welcome to episode 36 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this show, I'm going to share three simple and easy ways to get started with improvisation. Well, hey there, beautiful teachers. In this show, I want to talk about some simple ways to get started with improvisation. Last week, I shared with you my thoughts on improv and how I've come to see it as a tool for actually teaching other stuff. So it's not just about something else that I have to fit into my lessons, although I do think it's important to fit improv into all your lessons as much as possible. But it's not just about that. It's also something that I can use to teach other things more effectively than just talking about them or learning them through notation or anything like that. And if that episode was a little bit too much for you, if you're just getting started with improv or you haven't been able to do it at all consistently and you're not that comfortable with it, then this is the show for you. Because that might have all sounded lovely and wonderful and a little bit ideal idealistic rather than realistic. So if you're just getting going with improv, it can feel pretty overwhelming. And I hope that last week's episode will give you the big picture of where you could go with this and why it's so important and can be a long-term part of your studio. But this week is for those of you who are just getting started with this or need a quick and easy way to get back into using improv with your students if you've fallen off the wagon a little bit. But first, let's talk about when you're going to do these improvisation exercises, because it can be really tempting, actually, for a lot of teachers, I think, to leave this until the end of the lesson. They think, oh, I'll get all the stuff done, and then we'll end the lesson on a really high note, do some improv together, it's going to be wonderful. And that would be wonderful, and it is a great time to do it. At the end of the lesson, finish on a high note, wonderful. But chances are you do not have superhuman time control skills and you will run out of time more often than not. I actually love to do improvisation as one of the last things in a first lesson with a student because I can be a little bit more controlled about that. I don't have a ton of stuff that I have to fit in and I can save those last five minutes for just improvising. So I'll often improvise at the start and the end of a first lesson with a new student. And I do think it's a great, great way to finish off a lesson. 
But I just want to caution you that if that's your plan, it might not happen at all, right? So if that's you, if you're thinking, yeah, honestly, I tell myself I'm going to finish the lesson with improvisation every week and it just doesn't happen, then maybe you need to consider one of these alternatives. So the first is just the direct opposite. Start with improvisation. Start with improvisation and use it as your warm-up. We all know, and I'm sure we've all had these lessons, I know I have, growing up where you arrived to the lesson and you basically had to dive right in, maybe to scales that you were being, or it felt like you were being tested on, or a piece that you were being held accountable for. And while that can sometimes be beneficial if a student is preparing for something where they're going to have to walk up on a stage or go into an exam room completely cold and just perform straight away in a high-pressure situation like that, that is a good practice for them to do. But if they're not going to be in that situation, then why would we make it so hard for them to succeed at the first step of their lesson? Do you know what I mean? Like you walk into your teacher's room, you haven't played on their piano in at least a whole week probably, It most likely feels quite different to your home instrument. Maybe even you have students who have digital pianos or keyboards at home. So the keys feel completely different. The dynamics work differently. Everything is different. And you've got someone watching you. As much as you may love your teacher, they're watching you and you can feel the pressure of that. And that's the first thing you do in your lesson. It can often set you up for failure. So that's why I love improvisation as a first thing to do in a lesson. Because although some students may be cautious of it, it is kind of the definition of a no-pressure situation because there is nothing you can do wrong. Especially after a few weeks of doing this, when students are becoming more comfortable with the idea of improv, it's a great way to loosen up and just get comfortable with the piano, get back into the swing of things with your teacher, and have some kind of success right from the get-go, right from the start of your lesson. So that's the first suggestion I'd make for when to do these things. It's just at the start of the lesson. Another great time to do them is in buddy time. If you're teaching buddy lessons like me, then doing improvisation during that time is fantastic because you can get one student to play the lower part, the secunda part, or the accompaniment, and the other student is improvising with the scale, and then they swap. I won't go into that too much now because I will do a whole show about how I do that in the future, but that's a great time to do it if you have that situation in your studio, that lesson format. You can also use this as a brain break. So improv can be a great brain break between different pieces you're working on or between repetitions of the same piece or the same section or whatever you're working on with a student. If you have one really sticky spot, and it's about the middle point of the lesson, and your student is fading a little bit, especially if they're on the young side, they may be getting wriggly, take a break from that for a moment. Get up, shake the wiggles off, and then improvise together, and then come back to it. They'll be so much fresher, they'll actually get more done, and you won't have bored them to tears, right? We all know, well, I don't know if you know, but I know my teacher growing up would say things like, okay, just play that ten more times. And I try never to say that that kind of thing to my students, or th- although it has slipped out from time to time. But 
yeah, just repeat that 10 more times was always this soul-crushing thing because I knew it wouldn't actually be 10 either. I would get to 10 and it wouldn't be good enough and then I'd have to do it again and again and again after that. So if you're getting into one of those ruts where you just want a student to get something and they're not and so you're repeating it over and over, yes, repetition is important, but so is stepping away from things so that you can gain clarity on them and do them better. So improvisation can be a great way to do that. So my number one suggestion would be just start lessons with this. And the second idea would be to do this in the middle of the lesson when you need that brain break or that attention shift to something else. Okay, so that's when to do it. But what are you going to do? If you're just getting started with improvisation and you haven't even done it by yourself or you have by yourself, but at a very high level and you don't know how to bring it to students, then I've got three great ideas for you that are going to get you started. The first one is to use improvisation to introduce an interval or practice an interval. So this could be an interval that's going to come up in your students' reading work or that they're going to have repeated a lot of times in a certain piece, even if they've met it before, something like that. For example, I'm teaching a student at the moment this piece called The Gypsies by Cuthbert Harris, and it has loads of sixths and fifths. So one hand will be playing a fifth and the other is playing a sixth. And the combination is what really gives it its sound. So improvising with those two intervals side by side or one at a time is a great way to work on that. And you can do this with any interval. So if a student is just working on steps or skips or if they're working on octaves or anything, doesn't matter which interval it is, this is a simple exercise you can do. What you'll do is you start on the lower side of the piano and you play something using that interval. So let's take the example of a sixth. So you're going to play sixths and you might do them in both hands or you might do uh, the root note from the interval in the left and then a sixth in the right hand and just play around with it. Come up with a simple repeating pattern. doesn't matter what it is. It can even just be four straight beats. It can be that simple. Hold in the pedal and play around with it and find some intervals that sound good to you. And that's all it is. That's all you have to do. Your student is then going to play the sixth melodically. So you're doing harmonic, they're doing melodic. And you can either specify that they have to do all sixths, so they can only go up and down in sixths, or you can say, okay, only do sixths and steps, seconds, so that they can change where they are. Although it is fun to do where, even if they are getting stuck in one pattern, because they're only allowed to play a certain interval, it can actually be interesting to see how much they can come up with out of that. I remember Christopher Norton, I think it was, mentioning that he did improv where he asked a student to only play one note and make it sound interesting. That was his challenge to them. So it certainly can be a fun challenge. But I would suggest maybe your chosen intervals, let's say six, and seconds so they can always do both of those and they're just just to play around and see what they can come up with anything that they like the sound of you might want to also work in the key that your student's piece is going to be in the piece I was talking about there is in A minor so I would just tell them to play all the white keys um, and ignore the sharpened seventh for a while and yeah, just play around with it. Then swap places so that they get the chance to try out the harmonic version and you get the chance to try out the melodic version of the interval. 
Take note together of which ones sound good and which ones don't sound good. And maybe take out some staff paper and get your student to notate their favourite ones. So maybe they really liked the combination of G to E or whatever it was. Whichever one they liked the sound of, get them to notate it. You might even compose a whole piece, but you don't have to. Improvisation doesn't always have to lead somewhere. It can just be an exploration and it can be a preparation like this is for pieces or reading work that they're doing or technique or anything else. So exploring an interval is a great, easy way to get started. Try it out yourself and maybe come up with a pattern. If you're super nervous about this idea, say decide on your interval that you want to introduce to this student and then come up with your own little pattern that you're going to play so that you've already decided it and you know it's going to sound decent and then they can play on top of that and they can come up with their own pattern when they swap roles with you. Okay, so that's improv idea number one. I hope you'll give it a go. Number two is to do a one, five, six, four improv. I'm sure you've heard of this pattern, but if you haven't, this is basically the most common chord progression ever. It's one, five, six, four. So start it in C if your student is a beginner. Nice and simple. And you're going to play the chords again down the bottom, like you did on the previous, the interval-based improv. You're going to do the same thing. You're going to play chords and root notes. So do octaves in the left or just single notes and chords in the right hand and just repeat them. Again, it can just be a straight, even four crotchets or four quarter note pattern, or you can vary the rhythm a bit, make it a bit more interesting. Either way will work fine. Your improv accompaniment does not have to be super fancy and amazing and full of tricks. It can actually be simple. And it can work better when it's simple because then your student has more space to explore. You don't want to actually take up all the interesting, the interest rather, in the improv. You want to leave them some room to explore with their improvisation. You don't want to crowd them, right? So to do this improv, you're just going to play one, five, six, four, chords in the right, root notes in the left. Your student is then going to improvise using the matching scale. So if you're in C, they improvise using the C scale. Or you can tell them just play any white notes, any white keys. And of course, if you're teaching an instrument other than piano, then you're going to want to choose a scale that's appropriate, D major for violin or whatever suits you and your student, and just alter the key to suit that. A great way to illustrate this with your student and how relevant it is and how chord progressions build most of music is a site called Hook Theory. So if you go to hooktheory.com slash trends, there's this really cool interactive thing where you click on a chord and it shows you the next most popular chord in percentages. So if you click on C, the next most popular chord to go to is G and then it's A minor and then it's F. So it's this exact progression. So showing them that can be a great way to illustrate it. I'll also leave a screenshot of this in the show notes so that you can see it. So that's at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 3636. Uh, yeah, you can hop over there to see it and also to get the link directly to Hook Theory so you can explore this tool. It's really fun. I have loads of these accompaniment patterns and ideas and a whole structure built around this idea of improvising with scales and chord progressions in my course, which is called Circle of Fifths Odyssey. So that's available to Vibrant Music Teaching members. If you haven't explored it and you're a member, check it out if you're interested in this approach. 
And if you're not a member and you want to sign up, of course, you can go to vmt.ninja and sign up and get access to that course straight away. Okay, our last idea to get you easily started with improv, I wanted to do just three so that you don't have so much choice that you get overwhelmed and don't do anything. I really want you to get started on this. So third idea and final idea for today is the 12 bar blues. This is obviously a very popular pattern and a great place to start with improvisation. If you're not familiar, the 12 bar blues is just four ones, two fours, two ones, five, four, one, one, or five if you want to repeat. And again, I have a simple chart and a whole activity pack based on this called Bluesy Sound Card. So that's in the library for members if you want to grab that, as well as having the improvisation cards and the prompts in there it also has a simple chart which I find very handy and I use even when I'm not using the cards that's my favorite way to show it with the roman numerals or I have it written out in c as well so exploring the 12 bar blues is a great place to start with improv because the scale has the built-in cool right if you just play a blues scale up and down it basically automatically sounds cool. You don't have to do that much. Of course, you can do a lot with it, but you don't have to do much to make it sound good. It's like the pentatonic, both of those. They just have the built-in sound already if you just simply go up and down them. So it gives a student a really good chance of sounding amazing. I recommend you start in two keys. So I recommend you actually start in E flat and then also explore C. So E flat because the scale is easier and C because the chords are easier. So I would explore it first with me in the lower part doing the chords. Again, to accompany, just keeping it simple, following that 12 bar blues format. And I would make it a 24 bar, bar blues just to give more time to explore. And then the student is exploring the E flat blues scale, which is just all the black keys and A natural. That's why it's easy, right? It's the easier one to remember the pattern for. And then we would transfer that to C and I would teach them the pattern. Now, depending on the student's level and age, I might put little sticky tabs on the keys to help them remember the pattern in C. Some students need that, some don't, but you don't want them to be so concerned with remembering which keys they are and aren't allowed to play that they kind of freeze, right? So if they're having trouble navigating it, just Put those sticky tabs on the keys and see if they can explore it more freely that way. And then swap places with them and have them do the pattern from C and then maybe the pattern from E flat when they're playing the chords. So you do E flat first and then C when they're doing the scale and then C first and then E flat when they're doing the chords. Just makes it easier for them to jump in. And it makes a nice flow to the exercise. Of course, you don't have to do all that in one lesson if you don't have time. You, that could be over four or six weeks that you explore those different keys and different ways to play it. Now, in two weeks on the podcast, I'm actually going to be sharing a group version of this that I do. So I use the 12 Bar Blues a lot, actually, in my group workshops as a big ensemble with lots of students at loads of different levels. So that'll be in two weeks. Here on the podcast if you want to stick around for that and um, if you're interested in the group approach to this. But for now, get started on one of these ideas for your students, one-on-one -on -one or in small groups or however you normally teach. 
Pick out one of them. Just one. Think about all three. Whichever one sounds the easiest to you, do that one. There's no wrong choice. Just do the one that feels comfortable to you and you feel like you'll actually do. And then do it with every student this week. That's my challenge to you. Every single student. And that's why the start of the lesson is perfect, right? So if you just start every lesson with this same exercise that you've chosen, it won't get boring. Every student's interaction with it will be so different that doing the same thing for a whole week will not get boring for you. And of course, it won't get boring for your student because they don't know you've done it all week. And it will get you comfortable with at least that one type of improv. And I promise you, I know this from experience, once you have gotten comfortable with one way to improvise with your student, everything else opens up. Once I got myself fully started and started to get comfortable with it, all the other options I had available made sense and I was able to bring them in little by little and expand the range of different types of improvisation exercises I could do with my students. But it takes that one step and it takes doing it lots of times so that you really feel good about it. Okay, so make your decision. One of those three, try them out for a whole week and then let me know how it goes. I'm really curious to hear if this is the moment that you finally dived into improv, if you've been apprehensive of it for a while or finally become consistent with it if you struggled with that in the past. So let me know about it. You can go to the show notes, vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 36. That's the numbers, three, six. Or you can, of course, catch me in the Facebook group, Vibrant Music Studio Teachers. Just search Facebook for that and it'll pop up and I'll be happy to chat to you there. Next week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about improving our students' duet skills. One of the big things I want for my students is that they are not alone. They do not feel alone in their piano studies. And they don't only play alone either. They play lots of duets. But duet playing is a whole other set of skills. So next week, I want to talk to you about how to improve your students' duet skills, how to bring duets into your studio and make them really successful and an enjoyable experience for your students. So that's next next week. I also have a webinar coming up just after that which is all about fitting improvisation into your lessons and making it a regular part of what you teach. So I'm guessing if you finished uh, to the whole way to the end of this episode, then that's going to be something you're interested in. You can go to vibrantmusicteaching.com regular to sign up or catch the link in the show notes. So that's on Friday week as this podcast goes live. I hope to see you there. In the meantime, enjoy your improvisation. Happy teaching and I'll chat to you soon. If you want more improvisation prompts, ideas, and step-by-step frameworks to help you improvise with purpose with your students, then you need to check out Vibrant Music Teaching. Go to vmt.ninja and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.